previously on Dark Souls. Welcome back to Boss Door. I think the first thing we need to do and to really like understand the story is talk about the final boss of the game. So the final boss is Gwyn, Lord of Cinder. And back in the day, before the current Age of Fire, there was... I forgot what they called the Age of Mist, I believe. Uh, so I don't remember. Something like that. But the world... Wait, Age of Dragons, maybe? There's a lot of dragons. I think it was called Age of Mist. But either way, it was... It's it's this mythical time, you know, the, back when the world was just nothing but, like, a, a huge forest. You know, arch trees and, and whatever the fuck that is. And big <laughs> stone dragons. Welcome right? to ever understanding a Souls game. Yeah, but it's because a lot of it is kind of... Is mythical in nature. It doesn't... Yeah. It doesn't mean, have to mean anything literal. You know, mm-hmm. it just has to mean something sort of sort of mythically, right? The dragons ruled the world and then these powerful people showed up. Well, they weren't powerful. They were they were people that uh, sort of like lived uh, under the ground. They found the flames and inside the flames, they found the Dark Souls, which which gave them power. They found four souls. One of them is the Dark Souls. Yeah. And so they, they gained the, this great power to fight the dragons and they took over the world and they started the Age of Fire because that's where they, you know, inside the flames is where they found the Dark Soul. It's weird. Right? Yeah, and you get all of this in an opening cutscene. Yeah. The only cutscene you really have in the game. They just kind of explain this. You see a bunch of things that you'll end up fighting later, but you're mostly like, cool, that's that's some info. Yeah, and it's all but it's all kind of said in like myth and metaphor. You know, none of it none of it should be taken like completely literally, even though it sort of literally did happen. It's kinda of like reading the Bible in a way, where you're like you're like, some of these things definitely happened, but probably not in the ways that are being said here, you know? Yeah, and if you are a um, religious, uh, uh, a biblical purist, please write us at Dark, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At dark us Souls. At, at Boss Door 4. At Dark Souls. Yeah. I'm, Don't write Dark Souls. I, my brain's broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Gwyn starts the Age of Fire and uh, becomes the the Lord of, of Sunlight. Uh, he creates Anorlando, this this mythical city in the clouds. Basically and, and a city of like gods. That. Yeah, literally they become the gods. And it's more like the Greek gods, you know, the pantheon of, yeah. of gods. Where like him and his family kind of rule everything. But they're not... They're not gods like creator they're, gods. Yeah, yeah, they're They're more just like very, very powerful mythic figures that exist in kind of you know, direct the world in yeah. various ways. But, you know, a fire consumes, right? And the age of fire consumes. And as time moves on, and the age of fire gets extended more and more, you need more and more to feed that flame. Yeah, as the fire fades, it, you know, needs more souls. Exactly. And I so, think it's very evocative. Like, they say stuff like that in the game, and I find it evocative. Yeah, and that's why, that's why like, at the base of every bonfire is a pile of ash and bones. Yeah. You know? Because that's what's feeding the flames. It's it's the hollows, you know? It's stealing their humanity and using sometimes literally their bodies to feed the fires, right? You get to Gwyn and he's this, uh, at the end of the game, and he's this husk of, of, a, of a god. Just basically a big dude with a flaming sword. Because the fire has been eating at him for so long. Yeah, and, and, and you find him in what they call the kiln of the first flame. Yeah. And, and it's just covered in ash. It's just completely, it's totally dark, covered in ash. And there's there's nothing but ruin everywhere. Because the Age of Fire has gone on for so long. Just untold eons at this point. And, you know, there's there's like an, it's, it's going on so long people have made prophecies 
about the the, yeah. the prophesied undead who will end the age of fire but you don't even know what ending the age of fire means they say yeah, it's like, called the age of darkness which doesn't sound great on the surface yeah like what do you want from an age of darkness you know the the age of fire is clearly bad everything is everything is felt has fallen to ruin the world is in a state of pure chaos and destruction everyone is sentenced to uh, an infinity of madness and undeath but there's no guarantee that the age of darkness if you do put out the the flame is going to be any better and when you beat Gwyn, you are given this choice. You can light the first, you can, you can rekindle the flame. Uh, you can take Gwyn's place, essentially, and it literally burns your body away to feed the fire to continue the age. Or you can walk out and the fire fades and, you know, the, the world is plunged into darkness. And we don't know what that means. Yeah. We don't know if it's good or bad. It's probably, it could be, it definitely could be worse. Yeah. So you have to, like it's they, they give you you know basically two choices of you keep the status quo right yeah. or basically try anarchy so more or less violently overthrow the government or vote for Joe Biden <laughs> exactly those are your choices <laughs> oh and, and they so, both have many problems yes there there's some issues right but the ending of the game is obviously ambiguous right like there's no there's yeah. nothing there's nothing that would be considered the good ending yeah but to me. Like, the right answer is generally, do not continue the Age of Fire. That's the whole point you've been you've been working towards, is to end the Age of Fire. You should walk out of there, you know? And, yes, you plunge the world into darkness and, and chaos, maybe, but you give the world a chance to move forward in a way that it simply cannot otherwise. The world is not good, and it's not necessarily... You're not necessarily moving it to a place that is better... But you're giving it a chance to find a place that's better. And I think it's a really interesting thing about this is I, a lot of people have different reasons that they argue what is the good ending or the true ending. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to another friend about, you know, Dark Souls 3, which I think is less good story wise. But there was still a lot of debate on what's the right ending. Yeah. You know, where for me personally, I always uh, light the fire because I can't homeward bone out. And I'm not going to walk <laughs> all the way to that door. This is ridiculous. Um but if you keep the age of fire, I'm not even kidding. Like I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm over. It's the bonfire's there. Um, We're done. Yeah, done. Uh, you just see fire explode and cover the whole room, and yeah. that's it. It's just credits after that. And the other way, you walk out in like all the primordial snakes we haven't really talked about. Yes, they're snakes with teeth. It's Dark Souls is weird. Yeah, uh, they bow their heads to you as you walk out in, into the new age, and both leave no questions answered. Yeah. And that's kind of the point, you know? Like, yeah, when you set yourself on fire to continue a new age of fire, all you see is flames. Because that that, that's what would happen, you yeah, know? Exactly. Your that's question. what's setting yourself on fire. If you set yourself on fire, your last sight is fire. Yeah, your quest is donezo. You don't get to see, <laughs> yeah. you don't get to see the ramifications of your choices, you know? And that, that's important. Or do you in Dark Souls 2 coming to a cast near you? No. Well, kind of, I guess. Kind of, yeah. I mean, the, the the lesson of Dark Souls 2, spoiler for the entire next cast, is uh, nothing you did here mattered. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, no, it's eventually there. We're doing it soon. Oh, my bad. It's not here. It is there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. But it feels like the whole world is going hollow in the Age of Fire. It feels like the world is losing purpose. 
you know? Yeah. Which is, uh, it says a lot uh, about, like, like philosophically, it's really interesting. It, it, you can really engage, like, in theology and, th- and things like that. That, like, gods usually serve a purpose for the people that believe in them. Um, and that's kind of why, uh, like, the ancient Greeks move, you know, we move away from uh, the Greek pantheons and stuff. When the gods stop serving the purposes of, of, like, you know, controlling the weather and things like that, or, you know, uh, when they just become, like, like, Zeus who just fucks around all day you know yeah. like that's his he's just they become personalities and people that's when people stop believing in gods when they when they start uh, killing their gods is because they don't serve that purpose anymore and it feels like that's what's going on in Dark Souls 1 is the gods do not serve a purpose anymore most of them are dead really yeah you know and, and, and when you go to the city of the gods Erlando, it looks you know this be- in this beautiful way but when you see uh, Guinevere, one of the daughters of Gwyn, if you shoot an arrow at her, she fades away because she's an illusion. And then you realize that Anilando is not based in sunlight at all. It's based in moonlight. Yeah. And everything you see was just a projection of what this place was like at its height. But it's not that place anymore. Yeah. Right? It's it's these, these the you know, the children of the, you know, pretty much the Zeus of this world desperately holding on to an era as their dad lies like a withered old man yeah. standing by a fading flame. And who is it for? You yeah. Know? Because no one's at Anorlando. You know, this is true, I mean, in, in the game as a whole, everything's an enemy, so it's not like you see, like, townspeople, but you see NPCs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You do see humans uh, around here and there, but no one's in Anorlando. You know, I mean... There's Andre the Blacksmith. No, not Andre. The, the uh, giant I blacksmith is there. I don't. Uh, sorry, oh. I don't care about the blacksmith. <laughs> but there, a lot of people will be really mad at me. Well, there's a giant blacksmith who can who can ascend your weapons. Uh, yeah, you know. Who, yeah, I don't. Can, they do differently mechanically. Right? He's, he's a godlike blacksmith, right? Yeah. Um, you do continue quests with like a uh, Solaire and the Onion Knight, right? Sigmeyer. But, but beyond that, you don't see anybody in Anorlando. And when when the sun goes out, when you destroy the illusion, all the enemies disappear too. Yeah. You know, like, almost all of them. Yeah, and, the, or, and uh, most of them turn into other things, if they do stay. Yeah, uh, it's like the painting guardians stay around, uh, a couple of the ch- the church guardians with the big shields stick around, but uh, almost all of those are gone. Uh, I think some of the demon, the bat demons stick around. Yeah. Um, but most things just disappear, and the entire, all the bonfires uh, stop working, too. There's, there's a mechanic where... Uh, once you put out the sun, no matter where you are in Anorlando, it does not save you at that bonfire anymore. No matter what bonfire you go to, when you respawn, you'll always go back to the first Anorlando bonfire. And that the bonfire keeper for that one becomes hostile, so you have to kill her. So that bonfire never works anymore. Yeah. W- which Ross learned much to his dismay on his recent Anorlando yeah. run. Well, I, kn- I, knew she, I knew she'd be hostile. I didn't realize that I was going to be stuck at that bonfire in a lot yeah. of ways. So that was that was rough. But it's like the whole illusion goes away and it's the you question who is this for? You realize that uh, Dark Sun Gwendolyn, an optional boss, uh, is the one uh, casting this illusion over over all of Anorlando. But it's not for anybody. It's for them. It's for the gods to to deceive themselves. Yeah. To, to say that like, oh, look, we're still great. We're still powerful. But all the people, all the people down in Undeadburg and everything are just rotting below them. And they don't even know the gods exist anymore. No yeah. one knows. You get to the kiln of the first flame and Gwyn is this husk of, of a, of a being and no one knows. 
Yeah. Uh, just to talk about Gwyn mechanically for a second, how it really kind of drives home the point of this is not the same person who you've heard so much about throughout the whole game. Rel- heard so much about by Dark Souls terms. Yeah. Like, you've heard him in item descriptions a lot in the opening cutscene. It's not like you meet people like, have you heard of Gwyn? You know, it's not, it's not like that sort of RPG. So in this game, there's a mechanic called parry, right? Whenever someone attacks, you can throw your shield out and it blocks it and you can repost. It does tons of damage. And he's the only boss it works against. Yeah. He can, he swings, you can just parry repost lock him. He, and it makes him feel like a regular enemy. And what the cool thing about Gwyn is when you first play Gwyn, he's still going to be difficult, right? Gwyn is not just an easy boss, but it's definitely easier than you thought it would be based yeah. on your experiences and souls. He's easier and, than a lot of bosses. And then it gets to a point where you just trivialize Gwyn, right? Where, you can just parry or post him, or not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just, you learn Gwyn pretty easily. He's just swinging a sword. Yeah, you know, over time. And you just kind of put this, you put the dog down, right? And they play a song. I forgot the name of it. I think it's just called White. Editor's note. It's not. It's just called Gwyn, Lord of Cinder. It's just named after the character. I don't know why I thought it was called White. Well, I'll explain why I thought it was called White. But it's not. Yeah. Um. It's because... Gwyn is the originator of the Way of the White, which is a, a clerical order. You know, they create a bunch of miracles and stuff. They are devoted to learning about, like, the Age of Fire and stuff like that. Gwyn was known as, you know, Gwyn the White. And his theme song, which I think is just called White, is only played on the white keys of the piano. Uh, it's a purely piano score. And this is well known by by most Souls people. This isn't, like, new information. But it's, like... It's so cool. Damn, it's good. It's, and it's the most iconic music in the series. It's and it sounds so good. It's like and it's sad. Like it's one of the. It's one of the. There's two fights in this game that I think are more focused on being sad than they are about being like kind of mechanically engaging. Yeah. Even though I think Gwyn is very mechanically engaging. I think Gwyn's a really good fight. Uh, it's Gwyn. Where you kind of put this dog out of its misery, and Sif, where you actually put this dog out of its misery. <laughs> There's an optional area called the Dark Root Garden that you have to like buy a key from the blacksmith to get to. It's not optional. Sif guards the Covenant of Dark Guards. Yes. So you're right. You have to buy a key that costs twenty thousand souls. It's a lot. Which the first time you see it, you're like, when am I going to get this? And you might not even know what it is. And then you. If you figure it out or someone tells you, you're like, okay, I got this key at some point. Yeah. When you get this key, you can open up a door to fight Sif. Sif is guarding the grave of Torius. Someone will meet in the DLC, which this game is so good. We haven't even talked about the DLC and it's arguably the best part of the game. We haven't even talked about Artorius. And he was, yeah. I mean, he was, you know, Artorius B.I.G. He's, he's the, (laughs) he's the big man uh, in the, in the main story. We haven't even mentioned him yet. Because it sounds like Notorious. Yeah. I get it. Uh, that is good. Artorius. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first experience you have with Artorius, where you see his grave. And in front of the grave is his wolf Sif. And inside Sif's mouth is just the wolf's biggest sword. It's like, honestly, a derpy looking thing. It's a giant wolf with the sword the size of him in his mouth. It yeah. looks ridiculous. And you have to kill it. And as you kill it, the wolf starts limping and he starts swinging the sword, but everything about it, it looks like an injured, you know, a wolf that got ran over by a car or something that would not automatically kill it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's limping and it's swinging kind of pitifully at you and you just kind of have to kill it yeah. and you feel bad afterwards. It's like the one boss fight that afterwards you just kind of feel, you just, 
you feel sad about it. And it's not hard. It's honestly not hard. It might be hard at first. The first time you fight it a couple times, I think it might be hard. But that's true of everything in Dark Souls. Yeah, it was quite hard the first time I I fought it. But you kind of just get up and it's nuts, like you do with a lot of these bosses. And it can't really hit you. And you just... You just kill it. Yeah. You beat Sif. It's not a mechanically demanding fight. It's dangerous for sure. Like you have to learn it and, and mm-hmm. understand what you're doing. But yeah, you, you get through Sif, I think, fairly easily by the by the end of it, once you've once you've learned it. But yeah, you get him down to that like ten percent health and he starts limping and you're like, What am I doing? Yeah. You know, like he just he stops completely being able to attack you and it's just you just gotta put him down, like old yeller. Yeah. And so often when someone is like watching someone play Souls or talking about Souls or doing a boss themselves, but they don't know the story. I, I hear this question asked so often over the last couple of months is, uh, why are we fighting this? Yeah. And a lot of the time the answer is, uh, for not just reasons. Yeah. You know, like we're not actually being the good guy here. You know, there, there's certain games more explicitly like Demon Souls that uh, some bosses actively are, you know, tell you. You don't have to do this, yeah. right? Uh, there's one in uh, Dark Souls 1 uh, in the painted world, Priscilla. You do this, you get trapped in a painting, this like prison of a painting. And you get to the end, you get to the final boss, and she's like, you can just walk past me. Thou must returneth whence thou came. This land is peaceful, its inhabitants kind, but thou dost not belong. I beg of thee, plunge down from the plank and hurry home. Yeah, and you can jump off the edge, and you don't have to kill me. And it's a crossbreed between a dragon and a human, which, uh-oh, but also, <laughs> I've never not killed her. <laughs> I don't think you've ever not killed her. Yeah, no, I've never I've never walked past her. She's a boss, she's gonna die. Yeah, and it, and it speaks to something different in these games, you know, right? Like, you don't necessarily feel like, you're not killing Ganondorf when you're fighting Gwyn, right? You're not killing... Uh, some primal beast, you know, this beast that's terrorizing the land when you're killing Sif, right? You're killing people. Yeah. You know? And Priscilla, I think, uh, I can't remember exactly the, what she says, but... I can't hear over all the blood. Yeah. Uh, when you when you start attacking her, because there's no... It's not an, it's not like a, a option that you pick. It's not like, let's fight now. It's, yeah. you, you just have to start swinging. She says something like, like oh, you horrible thing. You yeah. Know? So She says something, she admonishes you. I expected as much from thee. Why dost thee hurry toward thine death? For for what you're doing. And there's no getting around it. Like, what you're doing is probably wrong. You know you're just, you're gonna kill her for her souls. Yeah. You know, because she's she's valuable, she's a boss fight. You're gonna kill her for your own purposes. <sighs> but why? Yeah, you might want her tail if you can figure out where to hit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's it's she's an object, you know, and you're you're gonna use her as such. And it's it makes you I mean, it should make you confront the idea of, of like what it is like Gwyn and all the all the other major bosses have been doing, which is just kind of using humans as fuel for their fire. You know? Yeah. They're trying to maintain their power and you're like you're looking at Priscilla as a mass of souls more than uh, a character. Yeah. You know? And this is why I think Dark Souls does its theme so much better than other games. So there's games like Far Cry 5 where they're like, they make you do this stuff and then they yell at you for doing it. Yeah. And you're like, mm, you should have realized violence isn't bad. Game you play for only violence. But Dark Souls doesn't do that in the same way. They make you, they make you do things 
or don't make you do things, quite honestly. You don't have to do a lot of the stuff. Always in the meta story of the game is, or just stop yeah. playing. You know, turn the game off. But they make you think about your actions kind of quietly in the background as you're just playing. Yeah. Right? They make critical bosses important. And then most other bosses are, like, optional, you know? So it's like, if you ever ask the question, oh, why are you fighting Gaping Dragon? Just because he's, like, cool as fuck. Yeah. Because, like, he's, like, a big fuck-off dude. Maybe you want hit. Maybe you want the uh, the dragon axe, you know? And yeah. that's what that's what his tail drops. It's like, maybe you just want 20,000 souls, you know? Yeah. Why are you fighting Gaping Dragon? Because cause it's, it's awesome, you know? Yeah. Um, But he's optional. You don't have to fight Gaping Dragon. Yeah, there's you know? so many optional bosses. But why are you fighting Quaylog? Because she's guarding the Bell of Awakening. And, but know? but Quaylog's story is really sad because Quaylog, Quaylog's sister is diseased and she's stuck in a hidden room. Yeah. Uh, the daughter of chaos. And you can't get much information, but you know that like humanity makes her feel like not in pain she, as much. She kind of feeds off humanity. Yeah. And her sister is just standing in front, just preventing people from getting to her. Yeah. She's literally, right? she, well, no, she's literally a giant spider. And what Quaylog is doing is farming humanities for her. Everybody that comes yeah. in, Quaylog kills them and feeds their humanity to her sister. Yeah. Who cannot survive without it. And it's like... And yeah, she just... It's just it's, it's just a story of protection. Yeah. And, you know, you know they're victims of, of their own circumstances. Like, their family is one of the, the great families from the uh, the Dragon Wars, where, like, they tapped into chaos magic and they all... They created demons no. and they all became demons themselves. I actually think it's really cool. They try to make a new flame. Yeah. So the the, the the fire was going out. So instead of reigniting the flame, we'll make our own flame. Yeah, they wanted to And they made the chaos one. flame. And that created demons and bad level design. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was very dangerous. Don't deal with chaos. Yeah. And so it's it's sad and it's kind of of their own making. But at the end of the day, this is this is a, a woman, you know, a, as horribly transfigured as she's as she's become, who's just trying to protect her dying sister, who's just trying to keep yeah. her alive. And you're like well, I need to ring the bell of awakening, you know, and there's a so non- I'm going through you. There's a non-zero percent chance you'll f- open the invisible wall, see this spider lady, you know, against the wall in pain and go, ha, ah! and kill her. Because yeah. it's a spider lady. It's definitely possible. Right? And that's just something that can happen. But it, but it's just this person kind of like living in pain. And then you take two fucking steps past that, and there's another one of their siblings with an equally tragic story, the ceaseless discharge. Yeah. Right? So... But when they made the chaos flame, it kind of corrupted this, like the seven members of this family, right? They yeah. all turned into horrible beasts, right? The ceaseless just became this like horrible monster and is like causing the lava at the bottom of the demon ruins. And it's that, that's what he's, it's a, it's a funny name. We, I think we kind of got past the point uh, of laughing at it, yeah. but his name is ceaseless discharge, but it's because he's always like literally spewing lava. He's, he's a monster that's, always in pain and he wasn't that way they created what was called the orange charred ring and that ring was designed to keep him from transforming into a demon like the rest of them but he was a kid and he lost it and he became this horrible yeah, like a centipede ate it. yeah uh no i think it became the centipede i don't know yeah it's you're right it became very, the centipede yeah. it's extremely weird but the fact is he was just a kid and he got transformed into this uh towering monstrosity that's just constantly in pain and spewing lava yeah. everywhere and it will not fight you until you go past it and there's clothes on the floor and it's the clothes of one of his former sisters right yeah. before this it's know, on an altar altar and it's the last memory of a dead sibling and if you take it 
he aggros. Yeah. It's, his, like, it's like one of his only possessions. It's yeah. one of the only things that give him comfort. He's, and he's, you're a fucking monster for taking it. Yeah. And you have to take it because you can't get past the goddamn lava. Yeah. Well, uh, you have to kill you have to kill him to to get rid of it and you can't you can't fight him without aggroing him and, and an interesting thing about the boss fight is you can find him kind of straight up which most people don't do you can run back to the beginning of the level and he follows you and eventually he is gripping onto the edge of the cliff and if you hit its hand it just falls down and dies like you basically one shot it right yeah. and it's another one of those fights where it just at the end of the day you don't feel like you're the good person. You know, yeah. You're doing the right thing. You don't feel good about what you just did. Yeah. You have to do this, I guess, because you're trying to do something with the Age of Fire or the Age of Man. You have to do this if you want to beat the game, right? But the reason, what you're trying, the way you're trying to beat the game is to either prolong the Age of Fire or start an Age of Darkness. That You don't have to be the person who does this. Yeah. Like, in, in, you know, in the world. But you just your, are the person. But it's your purpose, right? Yeah. If you, it's why you're not hollow. Yeah. If you don't do it, you'll go hollow. You'll become one of them, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting because simultaneously while you're, you're held up as like the hero of the world, you're the guy who's going to, who's going to end the age of fire and maybe fix everything. It's kind of implied like, oh, we're going to fix everything, even though that's not, you know, what, what's going to happen. But at the same time, it pits you against the world. It makes the world your enemy. And it's kind of like, it, it's, it's that idea of like, oh, you know, you got to break a, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Right. Yeah. You need to you need to end the in the age of chaos or in the age of fire. And to do that, you might have to kill all of Quaylog's family. Yes, you know? exactly. And like, yeah, they're tragic figures, but they did it to themselves. So and, but they crack also, a few eggs. They also were doing the same thing you were doing, is they were trying to you know, if you're trying to start the age of fire. They tried to just or prolong the age of fire. Yeah. They were just trying to prolong the age of fire. It just it, they made an oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> a big one. So one thing you might have noticed so far is all the theming and story in this game tends to be uh, overly sad relative to the games you probably experienced. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is really interesting because if you look at me, the little I know about Miyazaki's life that you can find on like a Wikipedia, but it's it just is different than the average game developer you hear about. So Miyazaki did not play a game until he was 29 and he grew up poor. And the first game he played was Ico, which is, if you play, it's... It's like Shadow of the Colossus, a game you're more likely to know, but, you know, a lot of people know about Ico, which is, again, kind of like a desolate, like the game, it's, it's, it's a, it's an empty world. It's a sad, empty world kind of thing. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff, I think, is really illuminating because you would imagine most game developers grew up with some money because of the nature of getting into the industry. To get into the industry, you probably play a bunch of games, play a bunch of games, you have to be able to afford him. He did not play games until he was 29 because he could not afford them. He read books. <laughs> yeah. Like Lovecraft, which will show up in a coming up a game coming up soon. Guess which one? The Dark Souls 1 DLC. Yeah, kind of all the games, quite frankly. <laughs> you really like Lovecraft. But this is just so interesting to, th- to me, this perspective of the world. Because so often, a big part of the game is, is this world worth saving? And I think a lot of people who make games don't view the world this way. Because it's going okay for them. Because they... Now make games, they're allowed to sexually assault people, <laughs> they will get a raise once they sexually assault someone. Their, their company will be acquired for $70 billion, yeah. and they'll retain their position of power. Yeah. Breaking news! That happened today! Yep. Microsoft owns Activision Blizzard now. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> yeah. Drive-by news in, in tears. Pretty bummed about that. But, uh, to, 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 to relate it back to Miyazaki... Even as we do drive-by sad news, it's really to show just how different 
I think someone like Miyazaki is than a lot of the industry. Every single company every day is dealing with all this sexual assault nonsense. And you're always just hearing the worst things about like NFTs and just just people being, you know, terrible pieces of shit. And I can't tell you Miyazaki's a great person. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. I, I haven't, you know, I haven't heard otherwise. Makes really good games. I know he won't get off my fucking lawn yeah. with his goddamn GameCube. Oh yeah, we have a blood war with him. Yeah. He reminds us a lot. <laughs> yeah. Forgot about that. Totally real thing. It feels like only a person with a different sort of life experience, someone who grew up with actual hardship growing up, can have a game where so much of the central theme is nihilism. So much about Soul, not not just Dark Souls 1, but Demon Souls and, and the rest of the series, is about nothingness, right? The dark sign, the dark soul, what the game is named after, is a circle of frames around nothingness. And it kind of, it just speaks to this sort of, like, what humanity is. Right. So like one thing I think is interesting, right, is the way magic is in this world. Sorcery is dr driven from the soul. Sorcery is uh, brought through from knowledge. Right. They we learn that magic through understanding how to draw out the power of the soul and soul. You know, souls are it's hard to explain a soul in Dark Souls. It's different than our souls. Obviously, yeah. you know, it's it's more of kind of like a like a like an energy inside of us, you know, like the force almost. But pyromancy comes from our humanity. The fire doesn't come from just mere existence because they're hollow. They still have a soul. They don't have humanity, right? They could, hypothetically, a hollow could draw out the power of the soul and cast a spell. A hollow... They do that sometimes. Yeah, a hollow cannot cast pyromancy. Yeah. Because they have no humanity. Fire tends to be a symbol of life, a symbol of humanity, the beginning of humans learning tools. You know, uh, Prometheus... Giving fire to man. Yeah. You know, the the first superpower in a Grant Morrison comic. You know, this this important building block. Uh, not just to humans, but to, like, society. To, like, cre you know, what humans can create. And it comes from your humanity. And you're also trying to get rid of the Age of Fire. There's so many things about that. Is humanity even good? Is the most pessimistic read you can have of the material in front of you. Yeah. But it's not necessarily an incorrect one. And, and the thing about souls in Dark Souls and Miyazaki and the, and the games he specifically makes is he doesn't put the answer forth. He puts frameworks for you to think about these things and he allows you to draw your own conclusions. There's no thing that says this is the true ending. You can debate which ending you like. There's no 100% conclusions that he's forcing you to draw from the world. They're just information that's presented to you that you, the audience, are allowed to shape and interpret. All the lore is not concrete. You have to make some sort of headcanon sometimes to decide things you believe, right? No one really knows who Gwyn's firstborn son is at this point, because fuck Dark Souls 3. <laughs> uh, the Gwyn's lost son, who was, you know, exiled from the castle. But there's reason to believe it's Solaire, and you can believe that. You can make that your truth, what you think is this game's yeah. canon. And there's a really empowering aspect to, here's the world. It's not happy. It's very bleak. There's lots of, you know, different stimuli that say a lot of different things. But the overarching lesson you gather from this is up to you. Yeah, and I think that's uh, kind of important. When the, there's the, the diegetic explanation of, like, phantoms and, and things like that is that there's multiple worlds that all kind of exist in parallel. You know, the, the whole comic book idea. And those worlds can have different histories, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, those worlds have 
the like every player is a real player in this game. You're not all the same chosen undead. You're all just a chosen undead in your chosen world. And sometimes those worlds collide, and that's how you get uh, phantoms and, and things like that. The world, the the bonds between them are, are loosey goosey, but it also means that the the histories of those worlds can be a little bit different. The futures of those worlds can be a little bit different. So when you say, "Oh, I have like a Dark Souls headcanon," when it, when when you're like, "I think you know Solar is Gwyn's firstborn son," maybe it is right. Maybe that is true, and it doesn't matter if that is like factually what Miyazaki had intended yeah right because Miyazaki made this vague world intentionally so and he created a diegetic reason to to be like not everything is set in stone the story is what you make of it and so it's important that people engage with it in that way that that people are like oh I think you know Solaire is is Gwen's firstborn because that connects you to the to the story and it makes the themes more important that's what's really important about Dark Souls. It's, it's not about necessarily the facts of the story. It's about what that story represents. It's about the metaphor that's being created. You yeah. Know? You can sit around with your friends and talk lore, you know? Yeah. You can, you know, say theories. You can, you can talk about enemy placement as sort of a point of, of interest, right? Like, why is this enemy here? He's associated with this person. Why would that person send that person there? What information are they trying to gather? What are they trying to do? And... There isn't just an obvious one-to-one answer, but there's clues that are pieced that can put you in a direction where you feel you have evidence to back up your beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and you you might believe that, you know, somewhere deep down, Miyazaki has everything written down and everything planned out. And I don't think he does. No, absolutely not. I, I think he leaves a lot of stuff open because he decided not to decide. Yeah. Uh, and that has a lot of value. It has a lot of creativity. And it gives, it gives the story a way to flow that other games don't, even though... Probably the first couple times you play Dark Souls, you don't know what anything is. You don't know who any of these people are. You know, you might not even listen to anyone talk. You can just play a game because it's a game and it's fun to play a game. It is fun to play this game too. But the game as a nihilistic metaphor for like personal responsibility is an interesting theme. It's a really, it's a really modern, well, it's a postmodern way of looking at the world, right? That's why we call this cast Dark Souls and Nothingness because... It references uh, Jean-Paul Sartre's being in nothingness, and Sartre was considered the you know the father of existentialism. Um, he's one of the he's one of the biggest names in in the thing, and one of his big things was that like like existentialism is the struggle of living in a world without God, in a world where personal responsibility falls entirely on the individual. Yeah, the way I like to say it, I'm sorry, you talked about Sartre. I have to interject. <laughs> is uh, the one of the first things he says is existence precedes essence in the world of god we are a world where it's like a a craftsman made scissors right before the scissors exist their essence their purpose already exists yeah and then they come in this world we come into this world and we do not have purpose yet we have to find that purpose and that our existence preceding our essence means we are responsible for everything we're not just responsible for morality reasons, we're responsible for literally why we exist. Because in an existential thing that, you know, point of view is, you can always kill yourself. You can stop playing this game. You don't have to go forward. So why are you going forward? And that that idea is in all of the characters, including you, the play, playable character. 
Yeah. And they, they push on that idea a lot more in Dark Souls 2 with um, Aldia in the Scholar of the First Sin. Because Aldia constantly shows up and is asking you why, why, why? Why are you moving forward? What, is, what, what exactly are you trying to get out of this? You know? Yeah. And even before that, like, Dark Souls 2 was pushing on it as well. But they made it much more explicit with Scholar. But in Dark Souls 1, it, it's, just, it's just something that's, like, casually happening in the background. You never know why you're doing anything, but it feels important. And then when you start learning about why you're why you are doing these things, or ex- or exactly what the things you're doing are, you start questioning the value of those things, right? And it all culminates at the end with um, beating the husk of of Lord Gwyn yeah. and deciding what direction the world's going to move in. Yeah, and the only reason, the only purpose Gwyn has is desperately hanging on to the past. Yeah, right. It's it's not a valuable purpose, and it's interesting because one you know a big theme throughout all these Souls games is this the cyclical nature of thing. The fire fades, and then the fire is relit, and then it, and then the cycle starts over, right? And when you ever you beat the game, you start a new game plus file, and a lot of people just keep playing. Yeah, they just beat the game again with the same character, same stuff, and they just keep going forward. And the only way to stop the cycle is to turn your game off, and what was it all about anyways? You know, what, what, what's it like living in a world where you can have the most power in this world. You can be the, you could literally become the strongest being in this world in a lot of ways, yet you're not really tangibly changing anything. Yeah. Right. The halls uh, are all still going to be there. Yeah. You know? The, 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 you know, you, if you feel like you changed the world at the end of dark souls one at the very, if, if you want to use dark souls two texts, you didn't change anything. The cycle just continued. Yeah. And so what's the purpose? Why do you why do you do this? And I think it's kind of interesting because then it ter- it, ch- it changes the way you play this game. Are you playing this game to be all the bosses? Are you playing this game to get to the end? Are you playing this game to try something else? Are you playing this game to do PvP? Yeah. Which entails that you invade another per- person's world. Someone is playing the game just trying to beat it. Just trying desperately to get past these archers on Nanolondo. And you can show up. And just kick them off the edge like a piece of fucking shit. Yeah. Right? And that's what people do. They'll get to a certain point in the game, and they stop trying to win. They just try to make the game harder for everyone else. And that's the purpose they chose. That's interesting. And when you first play Dark Souls and you start getting invaded, you're going to lose a bunch because you just started playing, and all these people are very prepared for you. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is this bullshit? You know? It's like so infuriating. Yeah. They're taking your resources. They're taking your time. They're stopping your boss runs, and it feels so antithetical. And, and their reward is so small for doing it. Yeah, the reward is to point and laugh at you. Yeah, that's literally what they get out of it. They they laugh because you were you are what they once were. Yeah, right. And then after a while, you're just like, invasions are fine. You know, you don't have to become an invader yourself, right? But they don't bother you as much. Yeah. And they kind of become part of the experience. It's just like everything in this world is out to get you, you know? Yeah. And when you kill an invader, you feel great, <laughs> right? And sometimes an invader uh, invades you and you're like, what the fuck is those weapons? What is that shield? What do they have? Yeah. I want that. What's going on? Yeah. It gives you ideas. You see new strategies. You see new things. Or they teleport behind you and backstab you, which happens a lot. That happens quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But you also you also see like the phantoms um, at the bonfires and stuff. Yeah, know? as you the bonfires are are sort of like locuses, not the not the bug, but a locus, like a, a focal point uh, where the worlds kind of touch. And the closer you are to a bonfire, the more the more present other players' phantoms will be. So every time you go to a bonfire, you will almost certainly see at least one or two people sitting around and you'll see them in their full armor their you know with their weapons and everything they're sitting around there maybe they're fighting something maybe they're doing something right but like you're always going to see players at bonfires yeah right 
And they're just they're just phantoms. They're just other people out there doing the same thing you're doing. You can see them in the regular world too. And it's very fun when you're like when you're like you you psych yourself up and you're like, okay, time to go down this hallway. And you start charging and you see another phantom right next to you doing the same thing. Yeah. You know? And you know you're not alone doing this either. Yeah. Right? And, and sometimes you learn stuff from phantoms. Like, yeah. So I beat this game like three times in a row pretty quickly before before we did this cast. And I was on the third run, and I'm on the final boss of the DLC, Manus. And it sucks. I hate Manus. And I was playing a file, a version of the file where I was going to do all the cheese. I was going to get the Drake Sword. Yeah. I was going to go backwards to Blighttown. I was just doing the... I've just never... I, I, I've never done that. I was just doing all the... What is the... the All the little stuff to make your life easier. And Manus, you can position and shoot him with arrows to yeah. death and before you even enter the boss arena. And so I was trying to find out where to aim to do it. And then I look over and a phantom is just shooting arrows repeatedly. And I line up my frame with his frame <laughs> until we're matched. And I'm like, I'm hitting them. Yep. And like, I just literally did what a phantom did. It stood where they stood. Instead of, and it, it saved me a bunch of time because I'm just firing arrows in the darkness. Yeah. Try, trying to hit something. And that's brilliant, you know? Yeah. Like, like I, I love that, that interconnectedness. And that becomes more tangible with the idea of, of leaving uh, messages. You know, people can leave messages that are like, they're like, there's a hidden bonfire here. Or try jumping. Don't ever try jumping. Yeah. <laughs> Never do that. People will leave messages to deceive you. But more often than not, you can you can sort of logic those out. You know, if, yeah. if it's at a cliffside that says try jumping, like, don't, don't, don't jump. You know? Yeah. But generally speaking, like, if you see, if you see a message pointed towards a wall that says, you know, invisible wall. Like, hit the wall, you know? Yeah. It's not always going to be a, a good one, but it's, like, very little very little loss yeah. if you do. And sometimes it is. It's a hidden bon- it's, it'll be a hidden bonfire or something. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the other one I love is you get to have bloodstains. Yeah. So there's bloodstains on the ground. If you click them, you see how the person died. So, like, it's kind of the easiest way to find a mimic. There'll uh, <laughs> be a bloodstain in front of it, and you click it, and there's just getting eaten. And you look at the chest, and you're like, that's breathing. That chest is breathing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and these little, there's little tidbits that help you where you're like, oh, I do not feel, like, sometimes you're, like, walking down, you're like, okay, no one's here, and you're like, that is a lot of bloodstains. Yeah, that's too many bloodstains. And then, like, a demon falls down, you're like, sounds right, you know? Yeah. So, there's a lot of ways that, like, the, the game interacts. Um, this, this actually really does kind of go back to what we talked about with, uh, Death Stranding, this whole community interaction, you know? Yeah, it's the only other game that does this sort of Yeah, exactly. Like, like... Like, I know Kojima was like, oh, I made the first Strand game. But, like, no, I think Dark Souls did. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And, yeah, Dark Souls, you can get invaded. There's a whole covenant, the the Nido covenant, uh, that you sent. It's called the Gravelord Covenant. Yeah, uh, I was literally about to correct you. And you you put your summon sign down, but it's, like, it's a Gravelord summon sign. And it goes into someone else's world, like, one specific player's world. And it just makes everything harder in that world. It makes all the enemies stronger. They do more damage. They have more health, right? Uh, the uh, only that exp- I've literally been wondering. I always just touch those summon signs. The only way I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, "What is this? Yeah. What is this?" It, it'll 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 tell the player. It'll be like it'll be like a grave lord uh, has, curses happened or something like that. Like a message will pop up, but you have to find the summon sign somewhere in that area, and you summon the player and then kill them in PvP, and that's how you get rid of the curse. You know, but like. That's fucked up. That's a whole covenant is just, just very casually making some random person's uh, world harder. But don't you like get like the really cool great Anita spell? Yeah, I mean it's a very bad spell. It's a very cool spell. 
you know you also get Nido's uh, greatsword which is pretty cool you know yeah, I, yeah. I've done I've gone through the entire Gravelord Covenant just to get that stuff you know but the fact is there are invaders and there are covenants that are dedicated around making your life harder but at the same time those can be fun entire you know PvP arenas have been set up uh, across these games and uh, more importantly there's there's summons for help. Yeah, you know? that's when what the you, sun bros are. Yeah, when you need help on a boss fight, there is always going to be someone there. Yeah, you know, I, I was listening to a bunch of random cast, and there's one guy who says, "I just beat to Ornstein and Smo, and then just put my summon sign down, and that's what I do in all my files. Like I don't beat the game; I just get to O and S, and then I help people. Yeah, and that's my experience. And I'm like, that's fun. Like I, I get my build right up to there, which is you know. The second half of the game is not nearly as good as the first half by kind of a lot. Yeah. A lot of the second half is somewhat unfinished. But, you know, I can just get to this point and just help people. And I get, I get, I feel good about that. And, like, that's cool. That's a really cool thing you can do. And you, you're, you're, a, you know, a shining light, you know. Yeah. To so many people in a world four of games that people kill you and then they message you on your PlayStation. You open <laughs> up and says, get good. Get good, slur. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I just think the community that this game fosters, while you know there is there there's always going to be a toxic element, it acknowledges that it gives that element an outlet. Yeah, and those on, people went hollow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, some uh, or they or they found a different purpose. You know, a purpose yeah. that we may not agree with, but it's it's there. You know, Lotric doesn't go hollow; he's just a griefer. Some some people like to grief things. Yeah, yeah, right? and you know, worst comes to worst, you just go offline. Exactly. If you, you, know, you really you, don't want to deal with it, you don't have to. Yeah, and they give you solar for, for the and, and you have to have humanity to be invaded. Yeah. You know, at least in this game. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to be in the state. Now, you get invaded more because you need humanity to summon your friends. So yeah. you get invaded more with your friend. But a lot of the time, your friend is someone who's experienced. And they will protect you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, you know, a two-on-one two on is always better. Yeah. I, I remember when we went through uh, Dark Souls 3 with one of my friends. It was uh, me, my friend Justin, and Ross, who was held two giant great swords. Yeah. And like every time we got invaded, he's like, one second, guys. And it was just like us like standing in the corner as the guy's running away. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, and just like a murder. Distant like, explosion. Yeah, he's like cleaning his sword off. Okay, boss is up ahead. Stay behind me. You know? <laughs> you just got this like unstoppable doom force, you know? Yeah. I like uh, Dark Souls 3 a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were re we recently just did a run of it. We'll talk more about Dark Souls 3 in the later cast. When we talk about Dark Souls 3, yeah. Yeah, yes. But uh, one of my favorite ones on our on our playthrough, I was just watching Ross beat my, my phylogist beat on New Game Plus in like a couple of hours. And he got invaded and he was running past all these, uh, again, in Orlando, archers. And he's like, oh, just let me get to the bonfire. And then the guy just kind of stopped following me, got to the bonfire. He's like, I'm just going to go forward. I'm like, no, man, the guy let you get to the bonfire. He seems honorable. Check what he's doing. So he went, went backwards, and he's standing on this invisible bridge that leads to a covenant. And he's like, do you want to fight on the invisible bridge? <laughs> and then I watched maybe the coolest PvP fight I've ever seen. Uh, and, and then that guy died, and then continued on with our day. And it was like, it was so cool, because invasions, I used to rage about invasions. I used to be like, why is this in the game? Why would they do this? Yeah. Who is this for? It's like, it's kind of the worst imaginable way to do PvP. Yeah. And, you know, early playing Souls, you know, I use my, I use Ross's help a lot. You know, now I've been everything solo multiple times. I've been Sekiro four times. Like, yeah. I'm prepared for Souls games, you know? <laughs> but for a while, I was just like, this is, this is a lot, you know? And every time I'd be like, oh my God, that guy was so hard. And you'd just be like, it's the easiest of the game, you know? And it's yeah. like, oh no. 
So, you know, th- th- this debate has come up more recently about should these games have difficulty settings? But one of the, and, you know, in things like invasions and oh, the opaqueness, what is the value of it? But the thing that I really like about these Souls games is it's so fun to tell. Like, we just told some stories because they're fun. Like, that's how Souls games work. You, yeah. I can call my friend and he describes what he's doing and it's awesome. You know, because we're all having this this same experience. And its experience is walking up a big, scary, weird, bizarre hill. <laughs> yes, exactly. But we're not all having it in the same way. Yeah. You know? It's not uh, like playing Skyrim where you're like, oh, did you do that quest? And it's like, yeah, I did that quest. I fought the guy, you know? Yeah. Did that guy use the move on you? And you're like, yes, he did. And I defeated him. It's not... It's not that. You don't have the exact same experience, right? The experience in Dark Souls is, it's finding the elevator in Firelink Shrine. It's its having a hard fucking time in Blight Town. Yeah. You know? It's not, you didn't have the same hard time, but there's so many things where you're like, uh, I, I went for an item and somebody's like, oh, and then you fell through the floor, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I fell through the floor. And, and you have to, you have to fight the dogs and shit. And it's. There's so many things in Dark Souls that's that's like, oh, I'm at Ornstein Smo. Oh, how many times have you done it? Hundreds. Now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many times have you failed? The, the first time I played one, I think we were all on a PS chat, and I played. I was on Taurus Steven, and I was struggling because yeah. I just, you know, it's that's how Dark Souls one works. And I was like, and you and uh, Bill, I think, were trying to give me advice, and then I Taurus even felt jumped forward. And then jumped at me and then just fell off the edge. I'm like, oh, Tarsemus just jumped off the edge. And you and Bill were like, what the fuck? I've never seen that happen. And I'm like, yep, easy fight. Just trick him off the edge, guys. It's not that yeah, hard. Yeah, just trick him off the edge. Yeah, I was like being really smug about it. Uh, and like, that's cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, I have gotten my sweet revenge on Tars team in enough times. Uh, yeah. To get, uh, but, yeah, but it's just, it's so fun to have those sort of, you know, universal experiences that are instantly relatable. Yeah. Right? But it, but, but still personal. Yeah. You know, you tell your stories, right? About, about your struggles. Yeah. You know, and people can relate because they've had similar struggles. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, I, my, my friend who just played his first Souls game to completion, he was just texting me every time he beat a boss. Yeah. He's like, beat that, beat uh, two tries, Lothric Princes. And you're like, good job, buddy. Yeah. You know, Impressive. like, it's it feels good. Like, you know, your different friend being like, am I supposed to go this way because this guy's dumb hard? And I'm like, that guy is dumb hard. Trick yep. him down an elevator shaft. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, a half hour later, he's like, thanks. <laughs> you know, like, I, I tried a couple of times, then I gave up, then I tricked him down an elevator shaft, and I would not have figured that out myself. Exactly, you know? You know? And it's it's amazing how quickly someone can be like, this thing? And you're like, I know exactly your, I know everything about your surroundings. I know exactly what you're doing how you're doing it, and what what's the best thing to do to make this easiest for you. And there's just no other game that's like that. Yeah. You know? And none of this would be possible if, if Dark Souls wasn't such an incredibly well-designed, thoughtful experience. Yeah. Like, you know? the level design in this game is impeccable. Yeah. Especially, well, the first half of this game's level design is <laughs> impeccable. Yeah. But even beyond level design, just the this game is is so good and so you know it's it's so new and interesting that it creates this community that that everybody can rally around you know yeah everyone knows someone who plays dark souls right they everyone has that friend they can go to that that can tell them the fun facts that can that can have them uh help them through an area you yeah. know stuff like that 
Uh, and that's just that's just not possible for a lesser game that doesn't get as much exposure, that doesn't get as much people talk about it, you know? Dark Souls is so good, it, you know, it's it's launched, you know, a million YouTube channels that just talk about the lore and just talk about, just, just do challenge runs of Dark Souls and stuff like that. Yeah. It just wouldn't be possible if this game wasn't so fucking good. Yeah. You know? And it's, there's so much wild stuff you can find on the internet. Oh, like, yeah. one time we're just hanging out, and there's a mod someone did where they turned every single enemy into Gwyn. Yeah. And it's just wild. It, I watch it, like, once a month. It's so funny. Yeah, it's it's so funny. There's all these flaming swords, so it just destroys the frame. Like, it's two videos, and the first video is, like, 30 minutes, and it's just the tutorial area. Yeah. Because it's so hard to get it without two, He split it into, into Asylum and Post-Asylum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is like tutorial post tutorial, yeah, yeah, the like, whole game, yeah, and it's just it's wild and it's fun to watch. I watch one that's only Ornstein and Smos, yeah, right. I watch randomizers a yeah. lot, right? Speedruns, people beating it with DDR pads and Guitar Hero stuff, and only using Broken Sword. I don't watch those because those ones take a long time. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's just lots of you know. I listen to people. I've listened to people play it. Like uh, they, they not a video, just them playing the game, being like, <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Finding a black knight, and you're like, I, I know if I can hear that. Black I know exactly knight. what, I know what what's doing. going on. Yeah, you yeah. can picture the the moments, right? Because you do have this encyclopedic knowledge of the game. Yeah, but I really want to talk about uh, level design and how how this game is put together because that's the that's the third huge piece that makes Dark Souls One such a titan of a game. Yeah, right. So we've talked a bit about it how how it's got this kind of Metroidvania style, a lot of interconnected levels, which is what everybody likes to talk about. How it just kind of loops back on itself all the time. Yeah, you know? like every elevator is a, a, a thrill ride. You're like, where is this going to pop up? Exactly. Where, and where half the time is Firelink? Where could it go? And it's always Firelink somehow, which is impressive in and of itself. Like, yeah, there's no less than like two or three elevators that go to that go to Firelink, and that's kind of buck wild, you know. Firelink is is like it's the the whole thing is like a new take on the idea of like a like a hub and spoke. You know, Firelink is your hub. But there's not really spokes. The spokes are all wrapped around and they loop back into Firelink, you know? Yeah. Everything leads back to Firelink. And at the at the end of the day, to get to the kill of the first flame, it's just under Firelink, you know? Yeah. Like, you just have to go down there. And beyond that, the game is somehow still really good at directing you uh, to where it needs you to go, you know? Like, almost always people go the, the first Bell of Awakening with the behind the Bell Gargoyles, down to Blight Town, to the second Bell of Awakening behind Quaylog. Back up to Sin's Fortress, through Sin's Fortress, through Anorlando, and then the game opens up into four separate paths where you can fight the the four main bosses that you have to take down, and then and then Gwyn. Those four bosses are completely uh, optional in what order you take them down, so there's not like a given set mm. you're supposed to go on. But beyond before that, the game is incredibly well put together in how it directs you despite the complete lack of direction. See, I actually think it's interesting, though, because I think the first bit of direction is purposely misleading. So you land in Firelink, and you're facing in a direction. And that direction takes you to a graveyard, which takes you to the catacombs, which you most certainly should not be doing. And if you somehow beat the catacombs with their respawning skeletons, you will eventually get to a wall that will not open until you beat Anerlato. Yeah. Now, almost no one does that, or gets that far. They go into the graveyard, they try for a while, and they're like, well, this isn't the answer. Yeah, the skeletons right? are simply too strong. Yeah, um, but you might find this Vinehander over there, and you might use that for a good portion of the game, if not all the game. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good weapon. It's a very good weapon. Yeah, you might you might go down, and you see all these ghosts, and you start attacking the ghost, and then you realize you can't hurt them. Yeah. So you're like, okay, not here. 
So then you're forced to go backwards, to go behind you. And that takes you into the undead berg. And then you're like, oh, you're just hollows? This seems right. Yeah. You know? And I don't think everyone finds uh, New Londo. I said New Londo. I meant to say New Londo. The ghost land. But I think a lot of people go into that graveyard first. And they're, for a bit, they're convinced they have to go there. Because everyone who's ever played Dark Souls the first time, people all the time are like, you know, it's hard. It's it's too hard. hard. Yeah, it's very hard. It's almost annoying how much it's hyped up. I literally bought this game at a GameStop. I'm embarrassed I went to a GameStop. But I bought this game at a GameStop. And the guy was like, you might want to buy another controller because you're going to break the one you have. (laughs) And I was just like, you are bad at selling games. Don't do that. And you're just, you're expecting it to be hard. You know? So a lot of people, they fight that asylum demon with their broken sword and they just try to get through it that way for a couple times. They go to the graveyard with all these skeletons and they think... That's just what I'm supposed to do. And that's not the case, you know? And then you start to learn, okay, it's hard, but it's fair, right? You know when you're like, they're not asking me to do this. Yeah. Right? Now, sometimes it, do- it does feel like that. Like uh, Sometimes they are, in fact, asking you to we, do we, that. We reference the Interlando Archers. There's a part where you're walking up a flying buttresses, and there's two silver knights who are, you know, just big fuck-off knights. Yeah. And they have these dragon slayer bows. That you can like hear the string anywhere on the map. They, they shoot. They shoot literal spears. Yeah, not arrows. Spears, and they knock you the fuck back. Yeah. If a spear hits you and directly behind you isn't land. You're falling off. Yeah, you're on a buttress, the width of your shoulders, if even that. Yeah, and one of them is guarding an item and shooting at you, uh, and the other one is the way to the next bonfire. And you have to fight these people while rolling under spears. And the first time... On a you, tiny, tiny ledge. T- yeah, a ledge half your shoulder width. Yeah. If even that. If that. And the first couple times I did, I played Dark Souls 1. I would just get there. And it was just like hours. Yeah. Hours every time. And I would literally beat up to that point and then just like hang my head. Because I knew I just had to do this fucking bullshit. Yeah. And you know, now I'm pretty good at it. I'm not saying that makes it good, but it's... It's something you learn to conquer. But now when I do that section, I don't even... I just listen for the arrows, and I know when they're coming, and I yeah. roll under them all. Like, the arrows are not the thing that hits me. Yeah. You know? You can, you can dodge arrows coming from behind you after yeah. that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, you feel so fucking good about <laughs> where your skill levels are at once you learn how to do archers in a reasonable time frame, yeah. right? But the other thing is, once you beat those archers... You get, honestly, my favorite bonfire in the whole game. Yeah. And it just feels, and it's just an area filled with Silver Knights. And you know what Silver Knights are good for? Practice. Yeah, they're fun. They're such a fun place to practice your weapons, to practice your styles, to practice your pairing, your backstabbing. You know, all of these skills that are very useful in a Souls universe. Yeah. And And it's it's, it's not easy, but it's fun. Yeah, and sitting at that bonfire, if you've done it, is Solaire. Yeah. Haven't seen him in a while. And it's, it's so nice to, like, see... A friendly face after such a gauntlet. Because it's not just the archers. Right? The archers kill you. But it's the run back. It's yeah. getting to there again. You you have to you have to deal with uh no less than five uh bat demons, and those guys are very strong and they yeah. have lightning weapons. So it's like they dodge a lot. They dodge a lot, they hit through your shield because of the lightning damage. It's just two of them if you fight in their arena. Those arrows are coming at you. You're in the range of their arrows. Yeah, exactly. It, it's and there's no there's no getting around them. There's no running past them. You just you just deal with the five the the, the five demons, and it takes a while. You know, mm-hmm. it's a long run back, and just 
just so you can get right back to where you were and get shot off that like edge one more time, you know? Yeah. And you have to wait for, like, a big fuck-off elevator every single time. Yeah, it's so annoying because it's the only elevator you can't reset. Yeah. It just goes up and down at a, a set rate. And so you just have to wait for it a lot. Oh, you go from the Anor Londa bonfire. If you're coming from the Dark Moon bonfire, you have to reset the whole middle. Yeah, I do the Anor Londa bonfire. The spinny they both suck. They both suck, yes. Right? That's the thing. Is like, there's no good way to do this run. And so, you might be there for a very long time. And you will start questioning your sanity. You will start questioning if this is a good game. Yeah. You know? You'll be like, I was loving this game, and now I'm more mad than I've ever been in my life. And then right after that is my straight up favorite hour of the game. Yeah. Just uh, going through all those Silver Knights and then fighting ONS, Ornstein and Smile. Yeah. And and so, like, it's hard to say if the archers are good or bad. I don't really think they fall into those categories neatly. Well, uh, one problem with Souls 2 in assessing this stuff is we all develop Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, they became, they became a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, you've conquered it and now you're just like... Everyone wants to do what I do. Yeah. And I and I used to get invaded, and now I'll invade them with my poison sword. <laughs> yeah. And, like, people, what they would do, uh, they would invade during Anor archers, yeah. and they would stand behind the archer shooting at you, the, the one you have to get past, and just sit there with a great shield. Yeah. And you just can't get through it. Yeah. Like, you can't parry them. They're not attacking. They're just in your way. And you're like, what the fuck Why? am I supposed to yeah. do about this? Why? Why? Yeah. Just pure monster stuff. There's a really obscure mechanic uh, called Vagrants. When it, you drop an item in the world, you can just discard an item or leave it on the floor, right? It will go into another person's world as a weird-looking sci-fi kind of creature. Yeah, little monster. Little monster. I've seen maybe five vagrants in my life. They're extremely rare. They're extremely rare. And one was on the way up to the archers, and I just couldn't... I can't kill that thing and avoid arrows. Yeah. I just couldn't. I never had to practice it. And I was just like, I forgot vagrants even fucking exist. Yeah. And you know what the odds are? Someone dropped an item right there on purpose. Yeah. They knew that vagrant would hit one person. Vagrants have specific spawn me. locations. Vagrants have specific spawn locations. And one of them is the Anorlando archers. And it's just, why Miyazaki? Yeah, why? Why? But vagrants are another thing that just also, you just... It just feels like there's so much stuff in this game you can never you can never learn all yeah. of it. Like you see a vagrant, and you're like, "What the fuck was that?" And chances are, the first three people you ask have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. And then Ross sends you a YouTube. <laughs> you know exactly. Um, yeah, there, there's mechanics in Dark Souls nobody knows about. Yeah, know? yeah. They're not even worth talking about because they're mostly broken and don't work. But they do exist. Yeah, you know? like uh, the miracle thing. The right? miracle thing. Yeah. Yeah, like on the ground, if someone is using miracles. If if a lot of people, I think, use the same miracle in essentially the same spot, it'll create a little, it'll create a little white circle that if you stand near it, it'll boost your miracles. If you also use miracles, and I have not seen one, I've literally never seen one. Yeah, it is technically there, but it only goes to like one person's spot, and only if they're using like the same miracles. It's a, and it doesn't even boost that much. And also, it's miracles. They suck. They suck hard. So like. But there's also no. mechanics like... Oh, sorry. No one's ever going to use that. No one's ever going to use that mechanic. There's also mechanics like whenever you kindle a bonfire, another player, you get an Estus yeah. if you're near that bonfire. And a lot of times, for a while, you're like, I got, I don't know how I got this Estus. Yeah. And you just can't figure out. And you see like you see like a little like light flash into your body. And you're like, well, what is that? 
Exactly. You know what that is? Exactly. Right? And it just it just adds to this sort of mystery where you're like, oh, did you know you could walk into that painting? And you're like, oh, I saw it, but I can't walk into it. And it's like, oh, you have to go back to the asylum. Like, oh, you can go back to the asylum? Yeah, exactly. You know? And, and, and just little things all over the game that every time you get a new piece of information, you're like, well, I want to go home and try that. Exactly. You know? You know, I hear someone talk about, you know, a quest line that I never done. And I'm like, I might just go home and do that Dark Souls one tonight. You know? Exactly. Because, you know, the, the quests the quests are fantastic. And there, there's always something. It's like, uh, the hidden areas are really hidden. They they really tend to be pretty yeah, hidden. Pro- yeah, preposterous sometimes. Um, Preposterously so. You sorry. can you can go to Ash Lake. And to get that, you have to go through the, um, what is it called? Great Hollow. The Great Hollow, right? The tree. It's, it's a big tree. It's not just but, one giant zombie you're crawling. <laughs> the Great Hollow. But uh, to, to get... Into the Great Hollow, you go all the way down through Blight Town into the Poison Swamp, and you go to the big tree, and there's like there's just a walk up a ramp that leads into a room, and there's just a chest there. You you can open the chest and you get your item. You're like, cool, I got my item, right? But behind that I, behind that chest is a hidden wall, and if you hit it, it it disappears, and there's another chest in there, and you're like, fuck yeah, free free extra chest, right? Behind that chest is another hidden wall, and if you hit that one. You can access the Great Hollow, which if you go all the way down, you can get down to, to Ash Lake. And there's a covenant down there. And um, nothing else. Yeah, pretty much nothing else. Yeah, Ash Lake is a clearly unfinished uh, area. There's a lot of lore there. But it is gorgeous, you it, know? It is gorgeous. And and um, it's a place that really makes no sense. Yeah, and the, and the, and the beach is made of ash, you yeah. know? And you can see Ash Lake on your way to fight uh, Grave Lord Nito. <laughs> yeah. And there, it's... It, it just adds to the mystery of this world. Like, Ashley is such a pretty and bizarre place. Yeah. But, uh... Like, pe- I'll say this. People complain about the elevator in Dark Souls 2 that leads you up to the Sky Castle, you know? You go down the it, down a tree and end up in a land of, of infinite arch trees and, and ocean. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Dark Souls 1 did it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's easier to accept the mythical nature of Ash yeah, Lake, you know? It is. You know, um, by, by 2, we're, we're more solidifying things into the literal. Yeah, you know? but, 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 but again, there's clearly too much made of that elevator. Yeah, but again, like, Dark Souls 1 is more metaphor than literal. You yeah. Know? That's, it's supposed to be myth, right? And so mm-hmm. you, go, you go down to the Great Hollow and go into Ash Lake, and it's kind of like going into the past. You see what the world used to yeah. be like. I, I've heard people argue that... Uh, this is some Dark Souls 2 apologist shit. We, we, th- we always have that kind of stuff in Dark Souls. We're all kind of Dark Souls apologists for all its crazy designs. Yeah. But they're like, well, you know, you're slowly losing your mind as a hollow. So that elevator that takes you up to the, the, the lava castle above a windmill is because that's how you remember it. Your character. And it's like, <laughs> that's... You can believe that and have fun believing that. That's great. But that is certainly not their intention. Yeah, no. In fact, they just said, oh, uh, we wrote something in the art book and someone misread it. Yeah, exactly. It was supposed to be, like, in a valley on top of a mountain. Yeah. Uh, that just didn't get it communicated. Just, it wasn't communicated. You can't really look up, so you don't yeah. really know what's above you. Yeah. You know? For all you know, there is a huge mountain overhang above you. <laughs> yeah. You just can't see. I think another also part of the, this level design is the way they do traps. A lot of these traps are designed to get you once and then never again. But the first time they get you, it's so horrible. Yeah. So there's a couple I like. There's one incense fortress. Where it's an elevator. And on the elevator, you see a blood stain. And if you don't get off the elevator, it just smushes you. Yeah. And, like, if you're observant, it doesn't smush you. Like, most of these traps, you can see. You can see a mimic breathing before you open up a mimic. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's other tells, too. You can notice. This, the elevator kind of stutters before going up. You know? There's, like, 
there are tells that this elevator is going to kill you. But one of my favorite, which I don't know how you can see, is you fight this, when you're in the depths, the sewers, basically. You find a big fuck off rat. It's not that hard. Might be hard your first time, because everything's hard your first time in Dark Souls. And then you slide down this waterfall. And if you stay to the left or right, you don't fall down this hole. Yep. But if you do fall down this hole, it's full of basilisk, which look like big frogs with these big fucking frog eyes. Like, they're very noticeable eyes. You see them in the dark. Yeah. And they spray mist at you. And if that black mist, you're in it too long, you get cursed. Which means you are at half health. Yeah. Until you find an item that removes curse. It, which is sold by one person well backwards out of the depths. Yeah. So you have to crawl backwards out of the depths or try to go into Blight Town at half health, which uh, don't do. Yeah. Right? And you, you see all these little crystal people down there that are previous, yeah, yeah. previously cursed players. Yeah. Uh, and you just see how many people are cursed. And Basilisk are in the rest of the Dark Souls games, but they never do this. They kill you, but they never half your health curse you like this ever again. But for the rest of your life, you were terrified of Basilisk. Yeah. Right? I've been cursed three times. Yeah, maybe. Maybe by Basilisk. Right? right? And some of it was me just being sloppy in the Great Hollow. Because the reason I was thinking about this is talking about going down the Great Hollow. Yeah. There's also cursed frogs in this fucking tree, those monsters. The Great Hollow's kind of rough. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of platforming. Yeah, it's, is, it's a lot of, it's like a fall down which platform. Is, which puzzle. is hell in Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah. Not good platforming elements. Uh, you'll hear more about this on our boss review. But they leave such an impression. Like, everyone who's new to Dark Souls is like, I heard there's fucking frog. I, I'm, I've heard to be afraid of frogs. You know? <laughs> They're just like, I see a frog. I am terrified. And it just, it just, it becomes like a myth. It triggers like a primordial fear in you. You know? Yeah. And there's a bunch of basilas in Dark Souls too. And I never figured out they weren't scary. You know, or I did, but my but my my brain did. Yeah. I was like, I was just always like, oh, yeah, you there, know, there's still a part of me that it doesn't matter what game. Like, I am scared of vassals. Yeah, you know, like I'm I'm downright like ready to like pull out an arrow and shoot them from a million miles away. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because um, I just I will not be cursed. You know. Yeah, yeah. Except it, in Dark Souls Two, it's just like it is a mild status ailment at best. Yeah, and, and they exactly so so nothing. I think they petrify you in Dark Souls Two. No. It, uh, oh the yeah, they, they do. They do kill you. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, the frogs they, always kill you, but they don't. They don't yeah. curse you like curse you. Yeah, which is, which is weird, you know, because like they, ch- they curse is still in the game. It's just they changed it to a different effect, and they made it a central part of the story, but not scary anymore. Yeah, exactly. Dark Souls Two got weird, but yeah. Uh, but Basilisks are still there. They still, they still, they only have two moves, and they're both spit po- spit a poison cloud at you. Yeah, and that cloud is terrifying and yeah it's I, there's almost no creature in any other game that i can think that i'm so scared yeah of. it has like a, such a visceral fear yeah An- another one in dark souls one that they continue to be in the series but they're not nearly as bad and a lot of this is okay we tuned them wrong like yeah. we maybe should have had curse frogs do this but they, it still works i think are the bone wheels I was, I was literally like what could it be bone wheels yeah you know? so there's a little skeleton guy like it's like a skeleton but around their body is a like a wheel with spikes on it you know, something that would d- develop evolutionary naturally, <laughs> right? And uh, if they roll at you, and if they hit you, you're just going to die. Because they, they just keep triggering. It's like, yeah. you keep taking damage. They keep rolling into you. And a lot of times, if you're blocking, it will just destroy your endurance, yeah. rip through you, and then it hits a bunch. And uh, there's never one bone wheel. No. There's never even only three bone wheels. There's always... Too many yeah. bone wheels. There's never less than six. You yeah. Know? And they're always in the dark. Yeah. You cannot see them, and just out of the darkness, you hear you hear the... 
you're like, no, no, no. And the bone wheels hit you and you yeah. die. And every time I, I, I play one, if I haven't played one in a while, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go carefully and trigger one at a time and kill them. And then you're like, nope, there's no being careful. So then the strategy becomes, I'm going to run wildly in circles yeah. and then just hope to see and dodge them all. And when they take a second to breathe, go, ah, and murder them. Exactly. And then go back to just running like a chicken with their head cut off. Exactly. And then, you know, you see Bone Wheels in Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3, and they're just not as scary, but you just, you, you tense up. Like, yeah. every muscle in your body is like, fucking Bone Wheels, man. Yeah, man. Bo- bone Wheels in, in one just get you. There's one more of that universal experience, I feel, where everyone kind of had that feeling. That's kind of what we've been talking about for a bit. Just a moment in this game where you're all like, oh, you remember that? And they're like, yeah. You know, like the, the Blight Town kind of stuff is uh, Sen's Fortress. Yeah. So you wing both the Bell's Awakening. You open up the gates. You've seen this right by the blacksmiths. You've been wondering what this was for a while, right? It looks cool. You're excited. It says Sen's Fortress. You're like, I don't know who that is. You beat these two fucking hard sneak. Actually, let me correct it. You walk in, you step on a pressure plate, you die. <laughs> right? Pressure plate, arrows kill you. But and there's two steeple in front of you, quit going towards you. Steeple or snake people? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm so, so used to saying it, I forget that it's they're, not. They're, they're these big fuck off snake enemies. They have shields and these curved swords, and they're so tanky, they're re- tanky relative to what you've experienced. Yeah. And I remember I was just like, God damn it, this fucking pressure plate. And I remember you saying to me, you can trick one of them to walk past it and sh- use the pressure plate to shoot him in the back. Yeah. And that's it's a pure Dark Souls moment, right? Where it's like, oh, remember that thing that just kind of like fucking Temple of Doom you? Yeah. Uh, you know you can use it for you, right? And so you get past these two Sneeple and you're just like, okay, let's start it. And it's a tiny walkway. There's one guy throwing spells at you with lightning Sneeple and another one across and there's just swinging axes all the way across this tiny platform and you're just like, who would design something <laughs> like this? Who is said? I would like to give him a piece of my mind. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's terrifying walking to Sin's Fortress, you know? Because yeah. those, those snakes are dangerous as hell, you know? Yeah. And, and the idea that you just, you just walk in, below you is this, is this, uh, dark pit. Yeah. You know? Which, if you go down there, it's all, it's all tar and sludge, and it makes you walk real slow, and there's a bunch of Titanite demons down there. Yeah. Like, really dangerous enemies. Yeah, super dangerous. Also yeah. super tanky. Uh, uh, the walls are, like, lined with spikes, and you have to walk across this walkway with swinging axes, and people throwing spells at you, and the only thing in front of you is a fucking snake on the walkway. Yeah, which you can't not backstab, because he's facing you. Exactly. Like, you have to fight him straight up, and it's, you're just like, where am I? <laughs> yeah. And it's just full of traps, right? There's tons of pressure plates. So first you start being like, oh, if I walk with my shield up, the next pressure plate, I can shield. So then you start doing that. And then the third one shoots you in the back. Yeah. It reverse. You're like, well, fucking Christ, of you course, know? Right? So now I have to turn around, right? You walk out to a, a little outside hill and you walk up, boulder falls, crushes you. You get a chest. Your first mimic of the game. Yes. A chest eats you. You get past that mimic. You go in an elevator. The elevator smushes you, <laughs> right? It's just a nonstop set of traps and and, and really creative traps and yeah. traps that you can't avoid with some level of observation. Yeah, and like always offset enemies that throw lightning at you. That every time you go across one of those bridges with the swinging axes, it gets progressively smaller every yeah. time. And so the last one is just a long run across like this shoulder width bridge with you know? lightning being fired yeah. at you. Lightning throwing at you, reach to- and, and then a bunch of a bunch of blades at the end. And then it's a T intersection, so you can go left or right, whichever way you go. 
is a pressure plate that activates the same track yeah, that, yeah. That, that shoots arrows at you. And it's like, that's cruel as hell. And by the time you get through all of that, you finally conquer Sin's Fortress. You you get up to the to the outside, and it, you're pretty sure, like, it, it, it kind of transitions to yeah. outside. And you're like, you're like no more t- traps, no yeah. more anything, right? That's when you're getting on your computer and Googling Sin's Fortress Bonfire. Because at this point, you're like, where the fuck is a bonfire? Yeah, it, it's like the longest you've gone without a bonfire. And it's actually not that dangerous outside, but you hear giants throwing rocks. You hear explosions, yeah. you know? And you're just like, I honestly don't want to take another step. Yeah. You know? If I walk forward and die, I am going to turn this fucking game yeah. off. And, and the way to find the bonfire is you walk to the edge and you fall down on a platform and there's the bonfire. Yeah. It's incredibly well hidden. But that feeling of getting that bonfire is just so... It's just like, I've escaped hell. Yeah. I am out. And, and the thing is, I think most people love Sense Fortress, no matter how hard it is. E- even though escaping it feels so good, it's such a fun experience. And once you do the little bit that's left in Sense Fortress on the top of the fortress, you get rewarded by going to Interlondo. Yeah. Like the prettiest in it place in, you know, the whole game, arguably. Yeah, uh, and Interlondo is just a treat all the way through. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I mean, you pretty quickly run into the little archers. <laughs> but, yes. But it, but it, it's, it's really the real climax of the game for me. Yeah. Like, I think you, the Two Bells of Awakening, for, Seth Fortress and Erlando, is just where every moment of this game is pretty much clicking, with the few exceptions of something like the Capra Demon and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's firing on all cylinders all the way up to, to Ornstein and Smo. After Ornstein and Smo, a uh, game opens up into, in, like we said, into like four different sections. Yeah. And those sections are definitely worse than the, the beginning of the game. There is cool stuff. There's like Duke's Archives. Um, yeah. That, that's really fun. Catacombs, I think, are pretty fun also. like to, Well, not Catacombs, but Tomb of the Giants, I think, is pretty fun. I like Catacombs better than Tomb of the Giants. I, I'm i opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that that whole section's fine. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's fine. It's just, it, like, Catacombs, I, I don't love. What do you know? There's New Londo. I like New Londo a little bit. Yeah, I kind of hate it, uh, but... Uh, well, I don't hate it, but... Yeah. I like the bottom, I hate the top. Yeah, I'm a little back and forth on it myself. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just enough repetitive on the top. And then... Uh, Demon Runes and Lost Isolus is just a fucking travesty. Yeah. It, and and it a, lot really of, is. a lot of this is this is before Miyazaki got fuck you money. Yeah. You know? Like, you made Demon Souls. So, it's actually kind of interesting because Demon Souls was supposed was actually like a failed game. Like, they, they, they were like, we're giving up on this. Do you want to finish it? Guy? Yeah. And it was this, like, first lead. And then they were like, well, that's the most popular thing we've ever made. Yeah. Um, do you want to make a better version of that with, like, an actual budget? And then they made Dark Souls 1, and they're like, everyone's like, From Software is the best company ever. And uh, then they made Dark Souls 2, which Miyazaki didn't leave, and it did terribly, and then, or relatively terribly. Yeah. And then it did, they made, he made Bloodborne, and they're like, you're the president. Yeah. <laughs> you are in charge. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, you're the president of the company now. Yeah. Um, you did it. Seems like everything you touch is 20 times better than everything right. that you don't touch. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So some of that is kind of the stuff of the time. It but, took a while for From Software to kind of get their graphics up to, like, industry standards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and stuff like that. Even though their games always have really good art direction or really good sound direction. Really, you know, they do a lot with less. Yeah. But but they did not have, you know, they, they're not Ubisoft or, or Platinum or these big fucking companies that can just right. do whatever they want. I think, I think and, you know, nowadays they're bigger than, like, Ubisoft, but. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's what I meant. Is at the time. Yeah. At the time, they just they just weren't, you know. 
Yeah, um, they were making Armored Core. They're making mech games. They're yeah. making Kingsfield a game you have not heard of. Yeah, you know? or, or you've only heard of because people talk about it in relation to the Soul series. You've not played it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so all these games have some unfinished content in them, but like none more so than the Demon Ruins and Lost Isolith. Yeah. You know? And I think uh, a lot of that we'll, we'll kind of get into in the lightning round. You yeah. Know? It, it doesn't really bear discussion. Yeah, because that's the thing is we just wax poetically about every room in this game. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like there's, it, there's such a depth of, of thought that goes into every room, even the rooms they didn't finish. Like Lost Isolus is w- probably the worst area in, in a Souls game, but it has maybe my favorite enemy in a Souls game, Chaos Eaters, right? Yeah. It has maybe my favorite lore. Uh, I love all the Chaos stuff, yeah. flame stuff, yeah. in, in Souls. Like, if the worst they can do is this, oh my god. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or the worst Miyazaki can do. Dark Souls 2 certainly makes worse areas, in my opinion. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, but it also makes better. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. It's not, you know, I'm, I like Dark Souls 2. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a bad game. You won't. That won't come across when I talk about Dark Souls 2, but yeah. I don't think it's a bad game. Yeah, I, I, I will be definitely, I'll be the pod. We'll, I will, I will shit on it. We will good cop, bad cop that one. Yeah, yeah. it might be the first cast we argue a bunch. I'm excited <laughs> about that. But anyway, uh, I want to wrap up my thoughts on this. Dark Souls 1 is a titan of a video game. It's one of the best games ever made. I don't think that's uh, an exaggeration to say. And it's it literally spawned a new genre and a lot of people are like are like oh souls likes not a genre you know but like yes it is it's not well defined it's not easy to say like okay do you have a roll mechanic do you drop your experience when you die you know yeah do you have a refillable estus flask for healing right those are those are mechanics of souls likes right in the same way that like roguelikes have to have you know randomized level layouts and things like that but souls is its own thing it's not just a 3d action adventure game and the reason Souls likes don't tend to do as good as, as Dark Souls, like the reason nothing ever became a new Dark Souls, except kind of Hollow Knight, is they don't take everything that makes Dark Souls what it is, right? It's it's not just uh, interconnected levels. It's not just slow methodical combat. It's not just invasions or PvP. It's It's all of these things put together with a thoughtful, somber background that makes you question both what you're doing in the game and, and like how that makes you feel as a person. Dark Souls is a deeply philosophical, deeply thoughtful game, while at the same time being incredibly fun to play and incredibly challenging in just every way. There's nothing quite like it in the gamosphere. And that's why, no matter how good the, the games after it get, no matter how good, you know, Dark Souls 2 or Dark Souls 3 or even Elden Ring gets, they're probably never going to quite touch Dark Souls 1 because that game is the GOAT. It just hit every note perfect in a way that, that no one's been able to replicate since. So, so I've mentioned a couple times that this is right around when Dark Souls was coming out is when I was so disillusioned with games. You know, I was not enjoying the products that were coming out. And I really, really actually think the reason I could, could come back is Dark Souls 1 changed the landscape of what games could look like. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, you know, no offense if you like these things, but Gears of War bullshit yeah. and, and Elder Scrolls bullshit, right? It was, it was 
that Metal Gear approach of every room is is thoughtful. Every part of the game, there's an effort put into it beyond just what we think the audience wants. One thing I would say that is so definitive about Dark Souls 1 and the whole series, you know, Miyazaki's vision as a whole, is this indifference to the player. This idea that we're not trying to cater to you. We're making something you have to engage with instead. That This speaks to a fundamental thing I always talk about with games is I like games as an art. And I thought for a while that's not what games were looking like. There's nothing wrong with playing a game that's fun and more focused around, you know, multiplayer experiences or stuff like that. I'm not saying they're inherently bad, right? But it's the difference between seeing a Scorsese movie and a Marvel movie. One is focused on firing the parts of your brain that is thoughtful, that is introspective, that makes you kind of relate your experiences of your life with your experiences in this piece of media. For the longest time, I when I first started playing Souls, I would always text Ross, uh, I really do not give a shit what one character is saying to me. <laughs> you know? And you're like, you should give him a chance. I'm like, nope. <laughs> and now... I go on YouTube and I watch Vadi video videos, the guy, the main lore guy for yeah. Dark Souls, who explains the plots to us because the game sure as hell don't, yeah. right? And you may say, well, that's bad. Someone else has to explain the plot to the game to you. How good could the story be? But the fact that I can watch like hours and hours. hours of content about a game, about the nooks and crannies, about the story of every boss that doesn't have to be told to me, told in a way that is cinematic and interesting that and this is some of his also just praising Vati. Vati is just a top tier YouTuber and seemingly human being. Seems like a really nice guy. Yeah. But I don't have to stop what I'm doing to deal with, you know, cutscenes. Uh I mentioned it on our Metal Gear cast, but like I started this Dark Souls run uh, because we were playing Metal Gear and I'm like, stop talking to me. Stop talking to me. Uh NPC you know, the, the all the codex and shit. Yeah. I was just I just wanted to play game. And I can do that, but the story's still happening around me. I'm in the story. I'm a part of the story. I don't have to every couple of feet stop and be like, let's talk about this. And the only cutscenes in the game are the first cutscene, boss intros, and the last cutscene, which is like less than 30 seconds long. And every one of those is so I will watch every single time. All the boss intros are great. They tell you so much of what you're looking at in a really fun and exciting way, you know? The opening cutscene is like honestly pretty gorgeous, you know? And every time I feel like I like I'm more thoughtful about what the information it's trying to convey, right? Every time they demand your attention, it's worth it. And they just there's something about Dark Souls 1 that does it better than everything else, is every character is worth a listen. Every room is worth a look, you know? Every item is worth reading the description. There is just a level of detail that each of it speaks to the depth and quality of what they made that is unrelated to its context of when it came out is still brilliant. But when it came out, there was nothing even close to it. Yeah. Except for Demon Souls. <laughs> <laughs> the thing they did before. <laughs> Alright, want to do a lightning round? I thought you liked Miracles. Put up Tish. Alright. Hear more in Dark Souls and Nothingness, Part 3.